0: I want to encourage you to uh, find a Bible in your pew. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. In your pew Bible, it is uh, page 941. Page 941. This is, we are in a series called Slogans, the five slogans of the Reformation. If you have been around the Reformed faith, you would know that if you'd step into a Reformed church, some people would go, What is that all about? Reformed? Does that mean that you're changing? uh, You're forming, reforming? What, What does that really mean? And so we're walking through for five weeks, what does it really mean to be a reformed church? What does it mean to be a part of the reformed faith? And uh, today we are walking through, what does it mean we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus? So this morning we're talking about what does it mean to be saved through faith, to be justified by faith. So... Starting at verse 19 and going to 28. Hear the word of the Lord. Doctrine. Father God, you are faithful. Uh, We've seen it in these young women who profess their faith in Christ. Um, And Lord, we are reminded, going to be reminded this morning about the beautiful and powerful doctrine of being justified by faith. Lord, open our ears, open our hearts. Lord, we're all in various places in our walk with you or towards you. Lord, I pray that we will respond in a way that honors and glorifies you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have been raised in the church? How many of you have been raised in what you would call a more traditional church? How many of you have ever heard of the hymn called Rock of Ages? All right, so in the hymn Rock of Ages, Augustus Toplady wonderfully pictures what it means to, to come to Christ. At one point, he writes, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. In a more modern hymn, even one that we sung this morning, Charity Lee Bancroft writes this, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And these are wonderful lyrics, and it's a great expression of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. However, with both of these hymns, I have to wonder whether we are singing them with understanding. How often have you kind of been singing in... in, if you come to worship and you start singing a song, it's like, oh, a warm, fuzzy song, you just sing it out. I remember going back to my parents' church and the the organ swells and, and all the saints are singing out and there might be a little tear. But I wonder, do we really understand what we're singing? Do we understand the deep meaning of what it means to be before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Do we understand what it means to say, nothing in my hand I bring. There's, there's nothing in my hand I bring. Nothing. Nada. I simply to the cross I cling. Job asked a very important question. How can a man be righteous before you, God? stated in another way, the psalmist in Psalm 130 said this, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In other words, Lord, if you kept track of all my sins and all my screw-ups, who could ever stand? Who could ever stand before you? And there's no more important question than that. No more important question. So how would you answer? How can a righteous man stand before God? And if you answer any other way than by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you have not believed the gospel. That is, you cannot stand before God. It's impossible. Nothing in your hand can you bring that would please God. Even the false prophets of Jeremiah's days promised peace, peace, when there in reality is absolutely no peace. There's an ever-present danger of assuming that we are at peace with God when, in fact, we are not at peace with God. Because there's two approaches to salvation. One is by human achievement. What can I do? What can I bring? What can I accomplish to please God? And then the other one is divine accomplishment. The latter is what we mean by justification by faith alone. For many, particularly in church circles as our own, this may appear as a given. Yeah, of course. It's what God has accomplished Through Christ Jesus, by grace, by faith, through faith, this is what God has done. But I would suggest that we often obscure this beautiful gospel truth. We tend towards legalism. None of us want to admit it, but we lean towards legalism. Though we deny it, there's this subtle emphasis on righteousness within, from, or provided by us rather than a righteousness that comes from outside of us. And this believing that righteousness can come from within or by me or through me has some very devastating results. In some cases, it results in a very smug type of self-righteousness. Think of the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where the the Pharisee smugly prayed, God, God. I thank you that I am not like other men. Can you imagine praying that? God, I, I thank you that I am not like Nathan Phillips. I, I thank you that I am not like Jason Bruxford or Laura Vroom. God, thank you that I'm not like those people, that I'm not like the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even, as he prayed, this tax collector. It gives a certain smug self-righteousness while it was the humble Tax collector who went down to his, his house and just, who was justified rather than the Pharisee who exalted himself. In other instances, self righteous, this self righteous tendency tends to a certain kind of presumptuous self confidence. Even the Apostle Paul recalled the attitude that he had prior to his, his, uh, his conversion. In his letter to the church in Philippi, he he recalls this. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I've trumped you. You think you're good? Let Let me give you my resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I win. Bring it. It's a challenge. But once he considered these, at one time he considered these very hallmarks of his his standing before God, but then it was only after he had a real face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ that he realized that these were absolutely futile useless, empty things. He goes on to say, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. In our lives, even the most subtle emphasis on self-righteousness, the most subtle emphasis on self-righteousness results in a joyless introspection, joyless, hopeless. Consider how we can pervert the gospel, even as we profess to affirm justification by faith alone. If we're not careful, we will fall into the trap of believing that justification, being just, being right with God, comes by faith, plus baptism, church membership, church attendance. To be sure, baptism, church attendance, church membership are important aspects of our walk with Christ, our growing in Christ. But none of these, none of these ever secure our right standing before God. On the other hand, we can practically affirm the gospel, the good news of faith, plus our sanctification, our becoming holy. That is, we fall into this trap of believing that our growth in grace somehow adds to our standing before God. If I am just in one more Bible study, if I serve one more mission trip, if I give one more dollar, my standing before God is going to be even more pleasing. Garbage. Garbage. We're sometimes tempted to believe that works or just willful effort somehow makes us more accepted to God than by faith alone. By faith alone. We stand before God for one reason and one reason alone. Because Jesus stands. Jesus stands in our in our place, on our behalf before God. And by faith alone, we embrace this. We believe that Jesus stands in our place. This is the gospel. The good news that what God has done for believing sinners in Christ Jesus. And we need to be grounded in this beautiful doctrine of justification by faith. We need to be grounded and deeply rooted and not shaken or pulled away by anything else. As Martin Luther, the early reformer, once said, justification by faith is the doctrine by which the church either stands or falls. And the same is true for us as individuals. It is the the same truth that we either stand or fall. And Paul understood this as well. And he so passionately wrote about this doctrine in the book of Romans. In this study this morning, I want us to examine this section in Romans 3 and consider some of just the practical considerations that we need to know as those who have been justified by faith alone. From verses, chapter 1, verse 16 up to this point, Paul has argued that all Jew and Gentile, everybody, everybody is guilty and therefore under God's wrath. Everyone. That, that includes you or has included you. That you are or were guilty before God. Everyone in this room, believer or unbeliever, you all had the same standing. There is not one who is innocent. Therefore, no self-justification will ever suffice. So in our text, we're gonna, Paul has set forth at least five essentials of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Here's the first one. In verses 19 through 20, Paul shows that God demands a righteousness that we could not even possibly deliver. It was impossible that we delivered this kind of righteousness. He says this, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Who's under the law? Every one of you, everyone. Everyone is under the law. So he speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. This term righteous as it is used in relationship to our standing before God, describes that which is straight, that which is upright, that which is absolutely innocent and holy. It speaks of actions and attitudes that conform to a set standard, God's standard, as defined by His revealed law. And the term justified speaks of one's actions and attitudes that are being judged or reckoned as pleasing to God. When this is true, it is said that a person is justified, declared righteous. And we should note that to be justified, to be declared righteous before God, means, that, means more than simply being declared innocent. When he was created, Adam was innocent. The only innocent human being. He never sinned. He did not even need righteousness, at least not in the way that we are defining the term, because he had never sinned, and he had no need to to be declared righteous. There was no sin from which he needed to be saved by faith, at least not initially. To be justified necessarily implies that we have all fallen short of God's standard, all of us which was not true of Adam in the garden initially. So Paul argued through this letter that no one can please God. No one can be accepted by God through obedience to the law. And some of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are um, we're kind of closet legalists, right? We like to say, if I just do this and I just do that, If I can keep this law, if I can attend church just enough, I can be justified, I can have at least an appearance of a good standing before God. But Paul says, listen, no man can fully obey the word of God. No man can obey God's law. The damning evidence, honestly, is found in verses 9 through 18. What then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under, under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. That's a good self-esteem, kind of Joel esteem moment for you. You're all worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throats are an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass poisonous snakes is is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In the paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Pretty hard words. We stand apart from Christ and his work. We stand condemned. We should stand before God speechless. Our only advocate, Jesus, can speak on our behalf. God defines righteousness. He demands that kind of righteousness, and we can certainly never deliver nor develop that kind of righteousness. See, the the law reveals God's character, who he is. Consider the Ten Commandments. And in the preamble of Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, it starts off this way. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? So even in here, God is saying, Listen, let me define what is the law. It's by me. Before I give you the Ten Commandments, let me tell you who is giving the Ten Commandments the I am. And the I am has done what? I brought you out. So it's by that, that's where we can only have hope. hope our, our only hope is a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves. We, show me one person in this room who has ever kept all the Ten Commandments. And I'll show you a liar. We, we all fail. Especially how Jesus redefines it in the Sermon on the Mount. When he talks about you know, murder, or he talks about uh, committing adultery. You know, committing adultery is not just sleeping around with another woman, it's even a lustful thought. You, you can murder people in your heart with a thought. So show me one person that is righteous. Uh, no, not one. The only righteousness that we can receive is a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves. God's standard is defined by God's character. And since our character infinitely falls short of God's character, our only hope is if the God who defines the law provides the necessary righteousness to satisfy the law. That's why... Theologians talk about an alien or an imputed righteousness. Don't think about little green people when we talk about an alien righteousness. An alien righteousness is a righteousness that comes from somewhere else, somewhere foreign and far off, and it is given to us. An imputed righteousness is a righteousness that is given to you. You are given a righteousness that is not your own. It's a righteousness that comes entirely from outside of ourselves. So how do we come to this this realization? Well, to paraphrase uh, one of the Puritans, Samuel Bolton, he said this, we must first pierce people with the sharp needle of the law and then bind them up with the scarlet thread of the gospel. What is the purpose of the law? It is to point you to a holy God. That it is impossible for you to find any other righteousness in yourself. You fail constantly. For you have to have access before a holy God, you need to fulfill this law completely and perfectly and to be totally blameless. And so the law points And pricks. Makes you aware of your need. If we are will be saved or justified, we must look away from ourselves. You've got to look away from you. The children of Israel, when they were were in the desert and they were suffering God's wrath in a form of poisonous snakes. How many of you remember that story? It's a great story. found in numbers 21 the children of israel were unfaithful and so god sent poisonous snakes and if these people of course i would do the same thing these snakes start showing up what do you do you start freaking out you start watching your ankles you watch everywhere that you go so that you you are not killed and finally god told moses listen what i want you to do is i want you to put a bronze a snake, create a bronze snake, put it up on a stake, and tell people to look away from themselves and the sin, the snakes around them, and look to that snake, and what will happen? They will be saved. And Jesus uses this, this same event as an illustration of what it means to be justified. as, a, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In order to be saved, we must look away from ourselves and others and look to Christ alone. Honestly, we we even need to look away from our churches for salvation. We must look to Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And we should note also, hear this, this equally applies to those who have already been justified. If you have been saved, if you have done what Abigail and and Lydian have done, you have professed your faith in Christ, you you have received the gospel, and you are new, you are a new creation. The old is gone, or the, the old is gone, the new has come. You are alive in Christ. If you've been justified, you cannot now, look to yourselves we must keep our eyes firmly fixed on our savior our faith in christ which we are in by which we were initially saved is an enduring faith an enduring faith if we believed in christ initially we must continue to believe and rely on him on your best day Uh, as well as on your worst day, you are accepted in Christ alone. Your best day, you're accepted in Christ alone. On your worst day, you're accepted in Christ alone. Second one. Second, we learn from Paul that God declares righteous. He he declares it. He he says, "You, you are righteous when we don't possibly deserve it. Don't possibly deserve it. Verses 21 and 23. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness, they tell about it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. No one can possibly claim to deserve righteousness, the righteousness that God gives. No one in this room can say, I deserve it. I've done something good. So I deserve this righteousness from God. Because we are justified freely. Justification is not something that we earn. It is a gift from God. And until we grasp this, we will never truly believe on Christ. Righteousness can only be granted graciously by God through faith in Christ. No one deserves it. It really is a gift. It really is God's gift to undeserving, dead, disobedient, depraved, and damned sinners. It is a gift from God. But why must this faith be in Christ alone? The answer is because He alone has the righteousness that we need. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It was Jesus in whom God was well pleased. And even Pontius Pilate, a broken, sinful man, found no fault in Jesus. Perfection. So where we failed to meet God's standard, Jesus succeeded. He alone has the ability to give us what we cannot attain ourselves. Because of Jesus, because He was faithful, we can have full faith in Him. Because He is the faithful God made man who fulfilled all the requirements of the law, whom God was well pleased. He took on the the sin of all humanity and fulfilled it. He was the perfect sacrifice for us. Because Jesus was faithful, we can have full faith in him. The Son of God succeeded where the Son of God, humanity, failed. And therefore, faith in Jesus is well-grounded. Jesus merited enough salvation for all whom he represented. Romans 8, Paul says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could do could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but now walk according to the spirit. Jesus completely, completely met God's standard. And therefore, in every sense of the term, can be called righteous god gives the righteousness of christ to believing sinners with paul believers can speak of not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in christ we now if you believe in this good news you now have a righteousness that's not your own but it comes from christ jesus himself But what does it mean to have faith in Christ Jesus? Saving faith has at least three elements to it. First, there is knowledge about its content. There's knowledge about it. There are certain facts that must be grasped. After all, faith has an object, and that object is Christ. So there are certain facts that that must be believed. These facts relate to our Creator, the God who set the standard, our condition, broken and sinful, and apart from God, and Christ, who has met the standard on our behalf. We must know these facts as are stated in Holy Scripture. But secondly, we must intellectually assent to these facts. It's not just knowing them. We must agree with God. Regarding these facts that our, creator, our about our Creator, our condition and our Christ, we must affirm what God has said is truly true. I believe that. But there's a third element that is, that is vital. The first two elements, knowledge and assent, are important, but it's not sufficient. Once we know and affirm the facts, we must move the element of trust. I know it. I believe it. Now do you trust it? That is what faith is about. I know it. I believe it. And I'm now moving towards trust. Trusting in Christ. That is, we must affirm the facts are not just Not true merely in general, but they're specifically for us. They're for you. Personal trust and personal reliance on Christ is called for. You must affirm that you have fallen short of God's standard. That you need a Savior and that Christ alone is available to you. It's available to you, and you must depend on him alone with everything that you have, including your affections, and cry out with, like the tax collector who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We must be always growing in this conviction that a right standing before God is completely undeserved. We must have a growing understanding that I did not deserve when I gave my faith to Christ in, uh, when I was 19 years old. Hopefully today as a 44 year old man I am growing in my understanding that I did not deserve that grace that was given to me. I did not deserve that and today I still do not deserve it but God gave me a gift. The reality of this should strike us more the longer we stand before God. The more that we are aware of our our sinful nature and our brokenness, and the closer we get to the holy God because of our sanctification, we should say, man, this really is a gift. And He really is a good God. And I so desperately need Him and love Him, and I want to give my life more fully to Him because of what He has done for me. The we're saved, the more that we feel the weight of sin, and the more we will look to Christ to lift that weight. And as we sin, we ought to feel the real weight of our very real sin. But if we have exercised, listen to this, if we have exercised faith in God, we should at the same time be assured by looking to Him that our faith is is secure by the grace of God. We are indeed dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans uh, 8 says this, Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. God's grace and love are available to those who are in him to overcome any sin by which we are guilty. Third. Trust me, these are gonna move a little faster, hopefully. Third, verses 24 and 25. God delivers a righteousness without which we are damned. He gives us a righteousness without which we're damned. Paul Paul writes that the believers are justified by His gift as a by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith or through faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Justification by faith alone is not just merely a legal. That is, God does not simply ignore the believer's sin and pretend like it never happened. An actual trans transaction has taken place god can declare a believing sinner to be righteous because god's righteous demands have been satisfied in christ jesus and when satan tempts you to despair and tell you of the guilt within what do you do the psalm writer charity lee boncroft says upward i look and see him there, who made an end of all my sin. Because of Christ Jesus' righteous life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, our sin can be made an end of. We can be justified. It's, it is important, and it's, it's seemingly obvious To remember that God's declaration is grounded in a historical event. God's righteous wrath was satisfied when God put his son to death. Done. It is finished. It's done. It's accomplished. So this redemption talks about... One way is talking about the buying back, specifically to purchase in a marketplace. I have bought this back. And in the sacrifice of Christ, God's demand, God demanded that something be paid in full and be accepted. And when Christ died, Christ died and paid it in full and it was accepted. You see, someone had to pay the penalty. And the choice is quite Simple. It would either be you or Jesus. Someone had to pay the price. And do you see him as dying in your place? Christ died in your place? Even in the Levitical, the Old Testament sacrificial system, the person bringing a sacrifice would bring an animal, and lay his hand on the beast to be sacrificed, thereby identifying with it. I identify with it and signifying that it was taking away his guilt. In the same way, we, we must, by faith, lay our hands on Christ, believing that he has taken our punishment If you will be redeemed by God, you must lay your hands on Christ and say, He has taken my guilt. He has taken my shame. He's taken my sin on himself for me. Do you even see that Christ has taken God's wrath on you because of sin? If not, ask God to help you see. John 1, 1 John One says this, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is our propitiation of our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. To experience God's declaration. You need his grace. To enable you to experience. Your declaration of allegiance. With Christ. Seek him. Ask him. Knock and it will be open to you. All that the father gives me. Will come to me. And the one who comes to me. I will by no means cast out. You come to Jesus. And he will say welcome. Fourth. In 25 and 26, we learn that God demonstrated his righteousness, which cannot be denied. It cannot be denied. The apostle speaks of the fact that in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Salvation by grace alone is not just this idea out there. God does not simply declare the sinner justified out of nothing. Rather, it is by faith that is secure that God's justice has been just satisfied. And these verses assure us of this. The work of Christ undeniably satisfies God's justice And therefore, it justifies God. The result is that our justification is justified. sounds odd, but our justification is justified because a holy God did it. Therefore, when Satan tempts you to despair, look upward to Christ who secured your justification by satisfying God's wrath. Ephesians 6, finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Through Christ, we have obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 5. While Satan may stand as an accuser, and some of you know what that feels like, constantly accusing you. You fail. You stink. Again? You did this? God will never accept you? Are you serious? You slip back into that again? Apparently you're not saved. And Satan constantly does this accusing some of you go, yeah. I experienced it this morning. Just not good enough. But the beautiful thing is that he can only accuse us to ourselves and not to God. For by satisfying God's wrath, cast the accuser down. It's done. In God's book, it's done. And all he says is, quit clinging to yourself and your works. Cling to me. Last one. ...that we dare not disregard. God declared his righteousness, and we cannot ignore it. There's no other way that we can do life. We we dare not pretend that there's any other way. The question is, if God has declared us righteous, He has declared you righteous, there is no other way. We cannot ignore that. The question is now, what do you do with Christ? The one who has paid the penalty and has said, you are righteous before God. I have accomplished it. I am sitting on the throne. It is a done deal. I am am your advocate before God. When God looks at you, he sees you through the lens of my work. You are perfect. Do not deny it. This is good news. Quit trying to be your own holiness. You have the holiness of Christ. And that is good news. You don't have to be perfect because you know what? I am perfect. There's no way that you can ever achieve perfection. But I have achieved it for you. I've achieved it for you. It makes all the difference on how you will one day stand before God. It must be by grace alone. But we must also place your faith in Jesus alone. Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we will be a people who can honestly say, Lord, there is nothing in my hands that I bring to you. God, even my best gifts are empty and worthless apart from the work of Christ. God, I pray that we will be a people who cling to the cross of Jesus Christ, that we can Stay, say and sing with Charity Lee Bancroft and say, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. And that perfect, strong and perfect plea is in Jesus Christ, whose name is love, who is constantly living and pleading for me, whose work is complete, that we are made right because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we will learn how to live into that. And quit being legalistic and self-righteous. And God, just as grace works, it saves us. We are saved by grace through faith. And that grace that works, it has an working in in how we live and care and love people. God, I pray too that this this being justified by faith will make us extremely. Humble people. Understanding that we deserve nothing. Nothing. But out of, free, out of a free gift, you have made us right. So we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Christ and His perfect gift of grace. And we thank you for the means of faith for us to obtain that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.